so thankful for <clears throat> the uh, worship team leading us in song this morning, corporately singing together to our great God, being reminded of the hope that we have in Christ, the hope of glory, so good for our souls. This morning we are looking at verses 10 through 16 of Hebrews chapter 13. So with your Bibles open, please follow along as I read from God's Word. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Hear the word of the Lord. With your Bibles open, and based off of the, song, the last song that we were able to sing together, I want you to look at verse 14 in particular. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Troy, when he led us out in that song, reminded us that we as believers need to look forward. And sometimes people buy into thinking that if you spend too much time looking forward, you're going to lose the ability to be engaged in the present. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Like your mind is, is off somewhere. You need to be here. And I want to submit to you that we are called to meditate and rejoice and think deeply on the forward, and it will actually impact how we live right now. It is very much important for our day-to-day to be gazing upon the hope of glory. That actually impacts every area of our life. It is that eternal perspective that we need to be reminded of daily. And when we gather on the Lord's Day, it is an opportunity for the saints to look at one another Maybe you're just hearing each other's voices, but that corporate singing, we're, we're ministering to each other while we sing those glorious truths, reminding each other of our blessed hope that this, this life is but a vapor. My family had an opportunity to be at a funeral yesterday. 69-year-old woman who we loved is now face-to-face with her Savior. Time flies by. And it is good for us to be reminded of what's coming. Because, brothers and sisters, it radically changes how we live now. So verse 14, the reason why I wanted you to look down, is saying just that. 
And it actually, in this passage, the author, inspired by the Spirit of God, gives us that truth and shows us actually how it impacts the original audience day-to-day and ours. So we're going to look at that and be informed by that truth. For here, brothers and sisters, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The title of this sermon is Go to Him Outside the Camp. And I want to to submit to you, encourage you, that that going outside the camp is not easy. Going to Christ and following Him as a disciple is difficult. And just as the original audience was being tempted to go back to what they experienced in, in Judaism, we too, when things get tough, start to really wrestle and question and and struggle with this picking up our cross daily and following him. So it impacts what we see in verse 13, and then it definitely impacts what comes next in verses 15 and 16. This reality, for we have no lasting city, but we seek that is to come, the city that is to come, that actually we will see, by God's help, um, this sacrifice of praise, this not neglecting to do good and sharing what we have, that eternal truth actually impacts how we live those, those uh, commands out, the calling of, of believers to live lives of sacrifice, of praise to God. And so, Lord willing, we'll have time to look at all that this morning. That was jumping ahead of myself a little bit. I, I actually want to read a quote from uh, a pastor and author, Sam Storms. You may be familiar with that name. This is his definition of worship. In this passage, we hear about sacrifices being made. And a lot of our minds go to Old Testament, what was happening in the ceremonial, and and rightly so, um, all the, the, the Levitical priesthood sacrifices that they made. And then at the latter part of this passage, we're seeing that our lives in the New Covenant are to be a sacrifice of praise, a living sacrifice. It's all rooted in worship, and I I think this definition will help us as we look at this passage. He writes these words. This is how he describes worship. Worship happens when the mind, our mind, is gripped with the revelation of great truths about God. So our mind is gripped with the revelation of great truths about God, and the heart and affections are set on fire with joy and satisfaction and gratitude and gladness and admiration. Our minds are gripped, our hearts are stirred when we look and behold all that God has done for us through his Son. Then the mouth explodes in songs of praise and proclamations of the incomparable greatness of God. I love that definition in light of our passage this morning because it's, it's really kind of this progression that I think the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, uses in a lot of his epistles. The first part of his epistles in letters that he writes will typically begin with a lot of indicatives 
all that God has done, the good, rich theology that God has accomplished on sinners' behalf, the work, the person and work of Christ. You get, you get all the glorious truths, the revelation of good doctrine, and then the latter part of the letter, the epistles, then become imperatives. This is who you are, now live it. This is what God has accomplished, now apply. You are now my people because of grace and mercy lavished upon you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, put on those things and walk in a manner that is pleasing to God, that is according to your glorious calling. Well, really, in our passage this morning, we have kind of a microcosm of that type of layout. We see, it may be a little hard to see at first, but verses 10 and 11 are telling us what is available to sinners through Christ. Glorious indicatives, what God has accomplished through his son as our great high priest, as the once and for all sacrifice. And then we see what we are then called to, we are called into going to him outside the camp and how we are to live. So I want to read that quote one more time and let that kind of uh, lead us through this passage. Worship happens when the mind is gripped with the revelation of great truths about God and the heart and affections are set on fire with joy and satisfaction and gratitude and gladness and admiration and the mouth explodes in songs of praise and proclamations of the incomparable greatness of God. So verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. That is, on the surface, a very weird verse. Verse 11 says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is, is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. And then we're told, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. We've got to make sense of what's going on here. We in the new covenant have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Who is he talking about? Those who serve in the tent, he's taking us back into the Old Testament when there was still a tabernacle and the Levitical priesthoods were called, the Levitical priests were called to make the sacrifices for the people, on behalf of the people. In particular, what he is referencing is all the, the sacrifices for sin in particular, culminating the Day of Atonement, the annual sacrifice for the people's sins, both for the priest's sins and for the people. Now, Sacrifices were made, and what's interesting, the sin-offering sacrifices, this is really important, were forbidden to be eaten. There was, according to God's word in Leviticus, um, Levit Leviticus chapter 6, verse 30, listen to this, but no sin offering shall be eaten from which any blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place it shall be burned up with fire. So the author is being really 
clever in a sense, but for the original audience, I mean, hitting a drum that they needed to hear, because remember, they're being tempted to go back to the shadow when we have the substance in Christ. He's saying, we in Christ have an altar from which those who serve in the tent may not eat of. Okay, don't miss this. Christ and all of his work on Calvary's cross, that is the altar. We have an altar. It is what Christ is and has accomplished as the atoning sacrifice. The Levitical priests, who you may be looking at and saying, man, I'm seeing what they're doing. I experienced that. I may be drawn back to that. They have no right to eat of the sacrifice that has been made for sins. Specifically, sin offerings, the blood was was spread, and then the carcasses were taken outside the camp and burned. According to what we read in Leviticus 6.30, it was divine prohibition. They may not eat of it. What the author is driving home here is you have a sacrifice that you actually can eat, are actually called and commanded to eat of. The old, they would make a sacrifice, but they were not. They were forbidden to actually eat of it. They must take the carcasses outside the camp and burn those animals. Burned outside the camp. Okay, now there's a lot happening here, but when we start to really dial in and hopefully with, with the Holy Spirit's help, maybe that penny drops or things are clicking together. Verse 12 tells us, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Something is happening that is different in our altar as New Covenant believers and what Christ has accomplished versus what people were experiencing in the Old Covenant. Hebrews chapter 9 helps us. Hebrews 9.12 says, Christ entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Remember, all the sacrifices that the Levitical priests were called to make were ongoing. They had to continue to do it again and again, and what we're told is it never cleansed the conscience. It was never final until the substance came, the once and for all sacrifice. Those who served the tabernacle had no right to eat of the Christian altar. They had no right to partake of the benefits of Christ. Christ going outside the gate is actually actually painting a picture, proclaiming a truth that something has forever altered in the sacrificial system. It's no longer happening inside, ongoing, over and over again. But Christ went to a place where we all needed him to go in order to finally and forever forgive sinners of their sin. So those who who cling to Judaism, you need to understand this, are being cut off from the once and for all sin offering that may actually be partaken of, eaten of. 
Now, in the New Testament, there is this question, how can Christians eat and drink of a crucified Christ? And John's gospel is so helpful in the sixth chapter. In verse 35 of John chapter 6, Jesus says, Whoever comes to me will not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Which is the same as saying, it is coming to Christ that we eat of his flesh, and believing in him that we drink his blood. So there is a going out to him. If he went outside of the camp in order to make this sacrifice and to sanctify a people through his blood, we who come to Christ and believe upon Christ are eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood. This kind of language for a Jew would be jarring at the least. For, for them to hear in verse 10, we have an altar that they may not eat of, and then to go and say, our altar is Christ and we are called to feast upon him. And not only do we have our sins forever and finally forgiven in the gift of eternal life, but we go to him and experience the spiritual nourishment that we need to continue to walk in a manner that is pleasing to God. All of this would have been earth-shattering and a huge rebuke to those who want to still go back to the old. That shadow was, was always and forever pointing to Christ, the substance. So if you have been kind of confused along the way, Christ is the altar of his people, the substance of all that has, uh, that has formerly been shadow, shadows uh, by the altars of the Old in the Old Testament, all point to the atoning sacrifice of Christ unto God. He is our sustenance, the food for his people. There's also something amazing happening here, and I, I want to just call it kind of the great reversal. The dead carcasses of bulls and goats in the Old Covenant being slaughtered and burned outside the city on the Day of Atonement, for example, were carried outside of the city of Jerusalem, outside the gate. And you've got to understand the reason why that movement outside is because that is unholy out there. That's where the dead carcasses go to be burned. But here in the city, this is where God's presence dwells. This is a, a holy ground, a holy site. Everything that is being communicated here in these verses, Christ going outside the gates, and then in verse 14, we hear this glorious truth, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come, and we're called to go to Christ outside. All of that is saying so much that can be lost on our modern day ears. What is happening, this great reversal, Christ going out, I think AWP can help us here. Him being made sin for his people and enduring the, the penal wrath of God outside the camp was the place outside the camp where the lepers were compelled to dwell. 
It was the place where criminals were condemned for their sin. It was the place where the defiled were put. It was the place where filth was deposited. And that was the place where the incarnate Son, the Holy One of God, entered for you and for me. Him going outside the camp was making what is filthy and dirty righteous and holy. Where we could never come into the temple of God, the presence of God because of our sin, he sent his son to come to us. That radically changed the way in which those who once tried to follow the ceremonial laws and then saw Christ as the substance had to change and actually understand that it's not this wall and security and what we have here in the gate in the city that that provides that. It's actually following him on the outside where true life is found, where true security, even if it costs us our very lives, is found. Because, verse 14, hear it again, for here we have no lasting city. Let that just settle upon you. That is That is our battle cry. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. While we are unable to draw near to God because of our sin, please hear this. The going outside of the camp, God draws near to us in the person of Jesus Christ, who on our unholy ground makes his holiness available to us in exchange for our sin, which he bears and for which he atones on the cross. What I also want you to see in this passage is the word through. Everything that is accomplished on our behalf, including sanctifying us, is done through him, through Christ. And later in the passage, everything that flows out of us that brings glory to God is through him. It is through him, Jesus Christ, that we have access to the Father. It is through him that an offering for our sins have been made. It is through him that we have been forgiven. It is through him that Satan has been defeated. It is only through Christ that we know God is genuinely for us, instead of against us. All of that, the benefits of the gospel, is only through Christ. And this movement of him going outside of the city, Calvary's cross was outside of Jerusalem. God and his glorious plan of redemption orchestrated everything, foreknew all aspects of that last week in Christ's life here on earth, where he would be condemned as a sinner, which he was not, taken to Golgotha, placed on a cross outside of the camp. All of that was to help us understand that he went there so that we could come to him. He made a way by going outside where not only would we experience the opportunity to have life, but he went on a rescue mission to seek and save the lost, shedding his blood for his own. 
Again, I want to just remind you, following Jesus means joining him outside the camp. The author's audience, the the original recipients of this letter, were tempted to find their identity in Judaism, in the Old Covenant. Instead of bearing the disgrace for the sake of Christ, they were looking for safety and security. And really, it boiled down to being in something other than Jesus. So the author is telling us that we also must go outside the camp, even if it means we suffer, in order to shine forth as his disciples. Again, verse 14 is, I believe, the key that unlocks the the question, how how can we who, who struggle and are weak at many times How can we actually fulfill what verse 13 calls us to do? Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. First, it's understanding what he has accomplished on our behalf. It is so good for us to be reminded. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand when we hear the Old Testament language being used, but we can grasp this. We are sinners deserving of God's wrath. We in our sin are far from him. Christ coming and dying as that once and for all sacrifice has actually opened up a way for those who are far to be brought near, to repent and believe upon him and actually now be adopted into his family. We can can grasp that. Outside of Christ, what do we deserve? We deserve hell for eternity. In Christ, what do we receive? Eternal bliss because we are now united with the Son through faith. That we can track with. Okay, so if you may have gotten confused with the sacrifices and the altar that the Levitical priests can't eat, but we can eat, just know this, in the new covenant that is made possible through our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, by him going outside the camp, He allowed or made way for those who are unholy and wretched to be brought to life and life eternal in him. It took the eternal son of God laying down his life in the dirtiest, filthiest way, absorbing the wrath that we deserve in order for those who are dirty and filthy, all of us to be reconciled to a holy God. He is our once and for all sacrifice. He is our great high priest. He is the only way to the Father. In the Holy of Holies, there was no way for sinners like us to approach the throne of grace. Christ has torn that that curtain in two and has made a way for us to enter into the presence of God. No longer as enemies, but as friends through the shedding of his blood. When we have verse 14 being kind of the the motivation, the fuel to be a people that are willing to go outside the, the camp and bear the reproach of our king, then we look at verses 15 and 16 and realize if we are called to live lives of sacrifice and praise, and lives that we do not neglect to do good and to share, with what, share what we have with those in need for such sacrifices are pleasing to God, 
I want to submit to you in order to do those things, which for some of us are extremely difficult, and we find ourselves prone to wander and be fixated on things that are temporal, verse 14 is that anchor that even this morning we need to hear. Many of us, if we were to assess our lives, it would reflect lives that are living for now and not for eternity. If we were just really honest and our lives were, were laid bare, our activity, our investment of time, our investment of finances, our investment in relationships would probably reflect more of a life in tuned with now, what is fleeting and but a vapor, versus an eternal perspective of a city that awaits us, the new heavens and the new earth. If that is so, there is good news here because we gather to be reminded from God's word what reality actually is. When you see a brother or sister laid in a coffin, their body laid to rest, their soul now in the presence of Christ, you in that moment while listening to a service being um, go, going on, a funeral service, you are once again shaken, uh, once again reminded of, of what this life is and what is to come. And in this passage, in verses 15 and 16, I want, I want you to hear the, these, this call on our life. Having verse 14 as kind of the, the ballast. Through him, then, let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Sacrifices of bulls, lambs, goats, other animals have come to an end with the, eternal, uh, with the atoning work of Christ on the cross. We've made that very clear. But what the author is saying, however, as we have seen, that does not mean that Christians have no sacrifices to offer. It just looks different in the new covenant. Looking back on the great sacrifice of Christ in thanksgiving, we are commanded to continually offer up sacrifices of praise unto God through Jesus. Let me remind you, the, the importance of thanksgiving in the Christian life. Ingratitude is the root of sin. So gratitude is the root of righteousness. If you wonder, like, why when you read through the New Testament, there's so much talk about thanksgiving, give thanksgiving, continually give thanks unto the Lord. Well, you've got to understand, what, what is the opposite of that? Ingratitude. Ingratitude is the root of sin. It's being dissatisfied in who God is and what he has done. Anytime you choose to sin, you are walking. We've talked about this before. You're walking towards something that God has said no to. It's not right. It does not please me. It's not good for you. But in that moment when we choose to engage, indulge, we are, in a sense, displaying ingratitude. What you have said, what you have offered in this moment isn't good enough. This is more appealing. I think in my mind, my heart is being pulled that it's going to be more 
uh, um, satisfying. And in that moment, we are displaying to a holy and righteous God who has lavished, uh, lavished us with, with so many benefits of the gospel. That's not good enough. I want this. So this thanksgiving, this posture, this life of praise is kind of where we started that, that description of worship. Worship happens when the mind is gripped with the revelation of great truths about God and the heart and affections are set on fire with joy and satisfaction and gratitude and gladness and admiration and the mouth explodes in songs of praise and proclamations of the incomparable greatness of God. Everything that we see in verses 15 and 16 is really that explosion. If your mind has been gripped and your heart has been so captivated by what God has done through his son, not only will your mouth explode in praise. Remember, worship is much more than us just singing songs together that are awesome, and it is a part of worship, but our whole life is a living sacrifice of praise to God. Worship is much more comprehensive in the Christian life. So when that explosion happens, it needs to actually come out of our mouths. Yes, singing is good for our souls. We are called to do it. I had Colossians chapter 3 here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Yes and amen. When that explosion of our minds being gripped and our hearts being so satisfied in Christ, delighting in him, our mouths explode, our life explodes to the glory of God. Verse 16 that was our grace verse last month. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I want to I tether this to verse 14. If you truly are living in light of eternity, that our city is not here, but it's coming, that will loosen up your grip on your kingdom and what you think is of value, when you are so fixated on what we have in Christ, both now and what is coming, the resurrection, the new heavens and the new earth, when all of that has captivated our lives, brothers and sisters, our hands will loosen up. That means our time our money, it will be, our lives will be gladly spent for the glory of God and the good of others. If you lose sight of that, if verse 14 is not a reality in your life, if you are so focused and rooted in the now and living for the present, for your own glory, your own little kingdom, I can promise you, your grip on those things will get tighter and tighter. You will build larger and larger barns for your goods. And you will completely lose sight of what you are called to be as a Christian. We are called to go outside the camp. Whatever we think is secure and will make us feel comfortable, 
Our king laid his life down so that we would have life to follow him. He calls us to go outside the camp and bear that same kind of, I want to make sure I say it right, Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Some of you may go, I want nothing of that. And I would submit to you that your mind has not been gripped. Your heart has not been fixated on what God has actually done through his son. And you actually need to check yourself before the Lord this very day. That willingness to go outside of the camp is a freedom in Christ. You are liberated to live for his glory and not your own. There is a call here, but it is not a call to do this in your own strength or by your own wisdom. It is to tap into worshiping God, enjoying him forever. And when that happens by grace in a sinner's life, Everything else changes. And in these verses, the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Spirit of God, is just helping us see exactly what that looks like. He's been helping us from the very beginning of chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. And then all of those verses calling us to now walk out this life that he has designed for his people. Do you realize that God does not need any of us to accomplish his purposes. He chooses to use weak and broken vessels that he has redeemed by the work of his son on Calvary's cross, sanctifying us, working on us by the power of the Spirit, empowering us, using us as instruments in his hands to accomplish his purposes And declare his glories to the ends of the earth. My mind and my heart are baffled that he would see fit to do that. But he does. And the only explanation is we know that it's ultimately for his glory. So he has designed it in such a way where he will maximally be glorified by using his people to display his glory and his goodness to a dying and hurting world. Know this, you or your friends or your parents or your children are not too far gone, not too far outside the camp where they cannot be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The whole thrust of the gospel is that he went to the depths of sin and darkness to redeem us from the pit. That should invoke in us, encourage us to go and proclaim from the mountaintops the good news of the gospel. That anyone, wherever you find yourselves, can experience the forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life through belief in Christ and Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, Sam Storms helped us here Worship happens when the mind is gripped. I pray this morning that your mind has been gripped by the glory of God, looking at the work of his son. That our heart and affections are set on fire with joy and satisfaction and gratitude. If you are satisfied in Christ and you are grateful, 
your hands will loosen up for God's glory and others' good. And that is how we minister to one another. We care for those in need. It all happens through this gazing upon the glory of Christ, our hearts and our minds being so captivated by what he has accomplished. Then the response or the outflow is a life of sacrifice, of praise continually. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is so good for us to be this day gathered as your people sitting under your word. We praise you for these glorious truths found in Hebrews chapter 13. Really, truths that have been repeated throughout this letter. And Father, we praise you for this opportunity for us to sit still in the midst of life that is so busy and hectic to gaze upon the beauty and glory of the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to realize out of your great love, you sent Christ to save sinners, of whom I am a foremost. And you in this passage also help us, remind us of where our home lies. God, help us to apply the glorious truths of verse 14 in particular. May they grip our minds and our hearts, the hope of glory. And may we stand back amazed to see how that affects our daily life. Help us, Holy Spirit, to live out the commands found. We see the glorious indicatives. May we follow in obedience the imperatives. For your glory and our good, we pray. Amen.